0: The Spot Track podcast talking sports contracts, the salary cap and business of sports.
1: Today's edition of the Spot Track podcast is presented to you by The Athletic. Boy, there's a lot going on. Philip Rivers retires. The NFL is in flux, the Colts need a new quarterback. The NBA is rolling along here. Major League Baseball has a $150 million contract in the Blue Jays of all teams. So the that side of things are starting to ramp up plenty more to get to. The Athletic is covering it all. Download the app, check out the teams and leagues you like the most. You'll get a personalized feed, ad-free, 100% ad-free every morning. Theathletic.com slash track. gets you 40% off your first year subscription. My name is Mike Ginetti. Happy Wednesday, happy January 20th, whatever that means to you. We're going to bounce around. Really fun show today. Keith Smith, Scott Allen with an NBA update obviously recapping the James Harden situation, what that might mean for other teams. There's a couple, there's some bad teams who are playing good basketball right now. And Keith's got some interesting thoughts on that. And then we're going to spend some time on on the youth in in the league, you know, the John Morants, the Trey Youngs and and the rookies and where and and how they take their next step, you know, whether it's with their current team, do they have to buddy up with some superstars? Keith's got some really insight into that. So we'll talk some basketball off the top here. Flip the switch completely into a more sports business discussion. Michael McCarthy from Front Office Sports, I've been dying to get him on. I love his pieces, I love his tweets. And the Front Office Sports newsletter is always good food for thought over the cup of coffee. Uh, He's been really all over these viewership ratings, specifically with the NFL, but he's got some tweets and stuff out there with all the sports. Everybody's down in terms of viewership. Uh, He's going to answer why. He's going to talk a little bit more about who's going to rebound a little bit from that, who's going to benefit from this. In terms of uh, maybe getting back to normalcy in 2022, and just a general discussion on that, as well as uh, where Philip Rivers may end up in the next couple of years. So there's your guest lineup for the day. Off the top here, I'm, I'm going to start with Rivers because that's you know big news, super possibly Hall of Fame quarterback. I'm not going to have that conversation. He's had a hell of a career. Let's just leave it there. 244 million earned. Uh, obviously, the link to Eli Manning for life because of that draft situation. You know the San Diego Chargers treated him very well, and right off the bat, the way that he announces this retirement is he goes back to a San Diego beat writer, uh, a Chargers beat writer, and lets him have the the entire piece, gives him the piece to leak to the rest of us that he is walking away from the game. That's pretty much all you need to know about Philip Rivers, right there. Family first guy, get your jokes out, and uh, you know, obviously kept it close to the vest and kept close with the people that are around him and had a lot of respect back and forth i think from a lot of people in this league which is why logically speaking a lot of people think he's going to get into the booth uh listen to michael mccarthy on that i think you'll get be be interested to hear some thoughts from both on him and drew Brees in terms of their next steps in their careers but 244 he's up there in terms of the top all-time earners in nfl history he will certainly be surpassed by the mahomes and, uh, you know, the Josh Allen's of the world eventually here, but not a bad way to live your life. Never really got to the uh, the finish line, though. I think he'll be disappointed in terms of his postseason play uh, from a player and a team perspective, but it happens. You know, we have great players who never get to the finish line and that's just life. But that's a big hole for the Colts. Let's talk about these Colts a little bit here. Got them, I've got them at about 68 million of cap space projected. They're number 21 in terms of the draft pick. The only quarterback on the roster is Jacob Eason right now. So they lose Brissett. They lose Rivers off this payroll. So it's a clean slate. They can pretty much have their will. And oh, by the way, this is a pretty darn good team. They're going to pay Darius Leonard a lot of money. I would imagine they're going to have to go out and get a left tackle in the draft, um, maybe and in free agency to kind of make sure that they have that buttoned up with Anthony Costanzo's retirement as well. Uh, Those are holes to fill for sure. But the running back situation looks good. These young wide receivers look good. Whether they bring back T.Y. Hilton or add something in free agency, Juju Smith-Schuster, one of those players, Kenny Galladay, it's all doable because of the availability of space slash not too many needs. Um, I'd expect them to address the secondary a little bit, maybe a defensive tackle, and then a lot of offensive line work. I think they just need to shore that up. I love Quentin Nelson, of course, but just got to make sure that whoever you bring in is going to be secure in their role in terms of the quarterback. So let's talk about who this could be. I put this immediately on Matthew Stafford's radar uh, because that's both a contract that you can accept. It's similar to the Rivers contract in terms of what you just paid him. So if you want to do that for one or two years, giving up draft assets to bring Matthew Stafford in makes sense to me. I'd also think a little bit more out of the box on this one. You know, I mentioned this morning on Twitter that we're at a point now where we're a little bit oversaturated with the veteran quarterback situation. You know, I, don't, I don't know that Cam Newton finds, finds a starting job. I don't know that Andy Dalton finds a starting job, though I'd put him in the conversation for this or Chicago or somebody who just wants to band-aid it, um, for sure. You know What's going to happen with Jameis in, in New Orleans? I don't know that they let him leave. Why would they? He's had the experience now of that system and they need to be cheap. So <laughs> it makes sense for Jameis to put in sort of an incentive-based contract there for the next year or so. So where does that leave the Colts? You know the the sexy talk for, over the last month was Carson Wentz because Carson Wentz was trying to force his way out of the situation he was in. Where we've now learned a lot more about Carson Wentz through some reporting locally in Philadelphia. Um, Peterson's out. New coach is coming in, and the demands from the new coach basically have said, um, "You got to fix Carson. You know, you're coming in not to up, you know, overhaul this roster." You know, we're going to move some parts off for cap purposes, but Carson's here. That contract is sort of stuck in stone. Fix Carson, at least for two years. And you know then you can have your legacy after that. But So what does that mean for Jalen Hurts? Now, it's a second round pick. They can certainly keep him on the roster as insurance and it won't hurt their cap at all. I mean, it's, it's absolute dirt cheap, but the kid can play at least a little bit. And maybe they've shown enough... Maybe they should have shown more in week 17, but I think there was enough of a showcase to at least intrigue some interest from the league. And maybe this is not a bad spot. Maybe this is not a bad spot, Indianapolis, for Jalen Hurts. So what does it take to get Jalen Hurts out of Philly into Indy, maybe pairing him with a veteran on a one-year deal, whether that's Derek Carr, Jimmy Garoppolo, whoever becomes available you know, on a one-year basis, and seeing what you have in in a two in a two person system like that, so maybe Jalen Hurts begins to learn Frank Wright's system a little bit because the kid's 22, he's 22 years old, he's in the second year of his rookie contract. You know, this is not a guarantee that Philly would move on, but you know, for the right price, they'd listen. I would imagine they'd listen. So why not Indy? Give yourself not not only a chance in 2021, but maybe a chance for the next four years with a guy, with a 22 year old kid who you know, has some ability for sure, has some athleticism at least. I'd put it out there. I would absolutely put it out there because I think this indie team is not just a one and done in 2021. This team is built now for a three to four year window of contention. They darn near took out Buffalo and got themselves into the divisional round this year with, you know, a Phillip Rivers who couldn't throw the ball 50 yards. You know, he was more of a game manager and a damn good one at that. So how about starting fresh? You know, I don't, I'm not sure you can get... The Jalen Hurts type of player at number 21, nor should you, you know, nor should you because of the quarterbacks that are available. Like I said, I think you go and get the best available tackle in the draft at that point. And and you pay your defense a little bit of money and you go from there. But with cap space and the availability of some of these veteran quarterbacks, it makes sense to go and get somebody who has a ton of experience, put him in the roster, likely make him the week one starter for 2021. But why not get Jalen Hurts out of that affiliate situation And bring him over into a situation where he may be starting this year, he may be the future. But I certainly like the future of Jalen Hurts better in Indy than I do Philly, is my point. And if Philly has to overpay a little bit to bring that guy in, so be it. So be it. It's not going to cost you a first. We know that. Um, So I'd like to see them go in multiple routes here, whether that's via the trade and free agency, whether that's via free agency and a second round or third round pick, whatever they can do there think it makes sense, but I think more is better in this case because your team is ready. Don't leave yourself shorthanded. Go out and make make a couple of moves. See what you have. Maybe one that's short-term, one that's more long-term because I do like this team over the next three to four seasons. I think the window is there. All right. Let's bring in Keith Smith and Scott Allen and talk some basketball. Today's episode is also brought to you by the online betting guide. Do you consider yourself an NBA expert, knowledgeable in stats, trends, plays, and injuries? Prove your skills against other knowledgeable basketball fans in OLBG.com's NBA Pick'em Contest. Enter for free and share your NBA picks to win cash prizes totaling $130 in prize money. OLBG.com is a sports betting community where expert handicappers share their predictions to compete for top place in the leaderboard while also helping others make informed betting decisions. Show them what you've got today. Visit OLBG.com. Welcome back to Track Podcast. Keith Smith and Scott Allen, of course, our NBA guru. Guys, it's an interesting year so far with the NBA. I guess that's the best way to categorize it. We're having postponements kind of left and right. Keith, I know you're on the pulse of all this. Just your general overall sense of how things have gone so far.
2: I, I would say as expected. I, I think the NBA was very clear. They thought that there would be some bumps in the road and that they were gonna try to push through those as best they could. And I think that's what they've done. There, there were concerns, I think, when we had what well, we're up to three or four teams at once, were kind of going through at least mini outbreaks and having cancel, cancel cancellations. I, I want to say cancelizations, and that's that's a new word. Um, <laughs> but they they were uh, in a position where I think it was um they, they knew this was going to happen and they knew that there was going to be some postponements and, and uh, short-term shutdowns and, and the like. And they're just, I guess the best way to put it is they're making the best of it and trying to complete this season as full as they can. All
1: right, let's, let's uh, quickly get through the Harden stuff. I'm sure you've done your homework on it and uh, have been speaking to it until you're blue in the face, but kind of unique because of how they split it off. Uh, you know, the three teams... The, you know, they split the trades off in terms of uh, Levert. It's actually a four, four-way four trade now, right? Uh, maybe yep. just break it down for us, Keith, a little bit, your thoughts on it. Um, you, know, you know, who kind of won out on this in terms of the long term, the short term, all that good stuff.
2: Yeah, so I think think your it was interesting when it was you know two trades and then now it's 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 a fourteen or four team trade and and all that because of the Karis LeVert situation. So first, my thoughts are you know with him and hopefully he you know uh, gets through whatever is going on and they figure it out and and he's fine. So I guess I'll start there with the Pacers. I think they, assuming LeVert is is okay and able to come back at the level he was at, I think the Pacers did really well in this trade. They, they Victor Oladipo was. Was going to be gone anyway. We we knew that um, after this season. And I think Victor Oladipo probably made it clear to the Pacers from all the reporting. I'm seeing the things I'm hearing myself is I'm not doing an extension. I, I don't want to be here anymore, but I'm going to play. I'm going to play hard while I'm here. I'm going to do what I do. And I think turning that expiring deal into a cheaper guy that got them out of the luxury tax for this year, we know that's important for the Pacers. And a guy who's been really good, I think is important. And I think Lavert is a guy who is He's a better playmaker for others than Oladipo is. At this point, Oladipo is more of a scorer. He's going to get it done for himself, where I think Lavert. You know, really has shown he can do a lot as a passer, playmaker. He kind of played that Harden role for the Nets at times. Um, The Nets, you know, if James Harden helps them get to the finals or win a title, then it's hard to classify them as anything but a winner in this trade, even with all that they gave up. If they don't, it's going to be hard to classify them as anything but a loser. You know, so we'll have to see where that plays out over at least the next couple of years. I'm very curious, like everybody, I think, is when Kyrie starts playing again here, which sounds like that's going to happen Happen uh, in the next game. It's going to be, how does it work with those three guys on the court together? Uh, that, that'll be fascinating. Harden and Durant together have been great in their first couple of games. And then from the uh, Rockets side, you get eight draft picks or control of eight draft picks. That's pretty good. That's, you know, pretty great. I want to see what they do with Oladipo. Um, My guess is they're probably going to get, I mean, the trade deadline is still, you know, uh, almost, uh, you know, two months away. At this point So I think what they're going to do Is see what it looks like Over the next month With him In there And can they get competitive Can they push for A playoff spot In the in the West If so They probably keep him and, and ride it out To the end of the year If not I wouldn't be surprised If they trade him For you know Continued uh, More flexibility In the future With younger players Under contract And picks uh, And then maybe They start you know Flipping some of their Other pieces Like PJ Tucker Maybe Eric Gordon And things like that And then The, the Cavaliers side of this uh, You know Great for them to get in or trade. they uh, It's kind of funny. It feels like had no business being involved in at all and they come away with their center of the future for for, for the uh, what's going to probably be somewhere between the 28th and 30th pick in this year's draft. So Jared Allen you know, will be there and then that allows them to bridge that gap right after Andre Drummond. And now that Drummond's an expiring deal, I wouldn't be surprised if they flip him for more than what they gave up to get him in the first place, which was only a second round pick. So I think the Cavs did well. So that was a very long answer to say, I think right now mm-hmm. this is the rare, uh, rarest of rare win, 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 win trades um, where all four teams did well with this.
0: Yeah. you, You mentioned Cleveland. They're kind of a surprise team. The Knicks are kind of a surprise team right now. We've got some really disappointing teams in Minnesota, Washington, probably Sacramento could probably fall in there. You know, are any of these teams, teams that should be making calls for more trades or should they be selling? I know we uh, some of these trades can't happen because of free agents, you know, February 6th. But are, are there any teams that should be making calls to acquire like Cleveland did when they wanted to jump in for Allen or should some of these teams be selling more so?
2: Yeah, that's a great question. I think what, what you're going to see is, um, which was funny, was the buzz around the NBA was trade season hasn't even opened yet because, because you know, about the third of the league almost can't be traded yet. So we're we're still sitting here with, you know, all these guys with these restrictions because of the offseason signing. So, yeah, I think what we're looking at now is, right, what do we do as people cover the NBA, fans of the NBA? We look at the next stock. All right you know james harden's gone now now we got to go to bradley beal and carl anthony towns and and all these other guys and i think that's where you're going to start seeing people looking minnesota Looks like they're probably going to be bad again this year. So people are going to go there. They're going to look at the Sacramento Kings. And you know, is it time? It's not going to be De'Aaron Fox, right? Because he just signed the extension. He's almost untradeable because of that, just the way the salary matching works. But it's going to be Buddy Healed, Harrison Barnes, you know, Rashawn Holmes. Should 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 they be looking to move those guys? Maybe even Marvin Bagley if he can't get it together. You know, is that is that a guy you almost kind of like Allen? Could you steal in a trade and get him to a better place? And feel really good about the guy you got, got in him. So those are the guys you're looking at, I think, on that side. And then I mentioned Beal. Um, I think, you know, there's a sense the Pistons would love to try to maybe move uh, Blake Griffin. I don't think that's going to happen, not with that player option um, there. But then the Cavs, you know, under Drummond, does, does he get moved? As they, you know, I assume will invariably fall out of this. And then the one team that – it's funny, not a lot of people talk about them because I think they get forgotten. They play right here in my backyard is the Orlando Magic. And people are really looking at the Magic and saying, they are so banged up. And their, their guys, a lot of their guys are not coming back. Markel Fultz, Jonathan Isaac, they're not coming back to help this year. So you need to look at the Magic and say, all right, is it time if you can't reverse this? Is it time to move on from Nikola Vucevic, Terrence Ross, Evan Fournier, Aaron Gordon, really blow this thing up, bottom out the rest of this year, and then come back around Fultz and Isaac next year when they're healthy? So that's a team that a lot of folks around the league kind of had their eyes on is what is Orlando going to do? Now, that's been a question for quite some time because they've made some curious decisions, but it's it's definitely a team I think people think could you know, go that route and start to move players.
1: Keith? kind of aligned with this discussion, where do the Warriors sit for you? I mean, they're seventh in the West, you know, they've had some powerful, powerful games. Steph has kind of put them on their, on his back at times. I'm not sure how sustainable that is, but, um, you know, are they going to let this thing ride out and just kind of, you know, let 2021 become what it is until clay gets back in the fold or, you know, you're talking about some teams that are looking to blow it up or maybe add here, you know, Is adding a piece right now reckless because of what's sitting on their bench? (laughs)
2: Yeah, I, and adding a piece, you know, is that reckless because that it's every nice. you know yeah every dollar you spend you know counts for about you know seven in real dollars, and then they'll get that discount. I think that's the, yeah. the nice thing for them this year is uh, they get that little bit of a discount uh, on the backside of it. But yeah, it's um I, I think what the Warriors are doing what, what you're kind of hearing about them is they're another team that's probably a little bit in the evaluation stage over the next month or so if they hang in the the playoff picture at least the play in picture. They'll probably just you know go play it out with the guys that they have, and they'll they'll push forward. I don't think they're really necessarily going to look to add anything, um, you know, at this point. But they'll keep going, and then I think what you're going to see with the Warriors if they if they drop out, if they start to slide out of that playing picture, I don't think it'll be any of the big guys. It's not going to be Steph or Draymond or anything like that. But I think you could see them. All right, you know, do we move Kelly Oubre Jr.? You know, Well, what is his future here anyway? He's on an expiring deal. You know, we flip him uh you know get some savings maybe get a pick for him or some, something like that
1: keith on that line you mentioned Ubre and it sparked a conversation uh, that celtics trade exception i know that's kind of your neck of the woods as well mm-hmm. any 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 noise there are, are they going to sit on it for a bit what do you what do you think happens there with boston and that exception
2: yeah i think right now um so here's the important thing to note that trade exception is 28.5 million but the the Celtics are hard capped and they're 19.6 million under the hard cap. So unless they send salary out, which of course they probably would in a trade, um, they can only use 19.6 million of that. But if they send out like a Romeo Langford at 4 million, they can go up to 23.6 million. And that, that's how it would keep, keep adding up for how much they can use. So I think what Boston is, I think again, everybody is, it feels weird to us, right? Cause we're at the end of January. It feels like this should be ramping up to the trade deadline. But in reality, we're a month into the season and it's, you know, so I've had multiple teams kind of remind me of like, hey, just remember where we are this year. You know, this is Christmas now. You know, this is where we're, you know, just kind of kind of evaluating and understanding who we are as teams. Um, But there are teams that are also saying, but it's only a 72 game year. You know, you you, you, you you don't have that extra 10 games to make up ground if you lose it. So I think what the Celtics are going to do is they're just going to keep evaluating things. If they come up with a need for depth, I wouldn't be surprised if rather than go for the one big expensive player, if they split that up um, and take in two guys in trade there and take in a couple guys to build up their depth, um, their bench is still pretty questionable. At this point, because they're they're so reliant on young players who aren't necessarily proven, and some of them haven't proven that they can stay healthy, like Romeo Langford. So I think what their their thing is, we got to you know really you know figure out who we are. We know who we are with Kemba Walker back, and we've got the starting five covered. But then let's figure out that depth. And if they go that route everybody likes to point and say they need a big they need a big they need a big I think it's going to be wings I think they're going to get get wings behind Tatum and Brown because that's where they're really lacking they've got bigs now so so I think that's what you're going to see them do and it, but it wouldn't surprise me at all if they sit on that into the offseason when it becomes a much easier to use piece um, because the rosters expand you, you you're not dealing with the hard cap at that point um, you know then they could really use the entirety of it on one player and get in somebody who can could be a really big big piece so we'll see um you know where that goes but yeah it's that one's going to kind of hang out there I expect them in the knicks to kind of be the boogeyman in any kind of trade talks because the knicks have still 17 million in cap space that they're sitting on and then the celtics with the trade exception they can be you know the ideal third team into any deal they could be the one who all right well you're making this trade but you don't really want a Harrison Barnes, so flip him to Boston, and we'll go that direction. So I think that's going to be what we're going to hear a lot as trade talks pick up.
0: You mentioned some of the young guys on Boston, so let's switch to some of those big, uh, young kids that you know I know you watch and you analyze these players, especially the draft picks. Uh, LaMelo Ball, youngest to have a triple double. Uh, it, it looks like Halliburton may be a steal for Sacramento. His odds have dropped tremendously for the Rookie of the Year. Um, what do you make of some of these, you know, draft picks that are are playing right now? And subsequently, is there someone that we should watch that we may not know of outside of the Edwards, Wiseman, Halliburton, Ball area?
2: Yeah, I mean, we spent months beating up this as an awful draft class. And this is terrible. And, you know, will the league ever recover from how bad it is? And, you know, we all got a little crazy. But yeah, I think what you're seeing with these guys now is it was actually a draft class that was full of good players there. We still don't know that there's going to be stars yet. Right. I think ball has a chance. I think Edwards maybe has a chance. I think Wiseman has a chance, but beyond that, we'll see. But I I love Halliburton. I'm glad you called him out. I think he has been absolutely phenomenal thus far for the Kings. Um, Other names to, to watch Emmanuel quickly. And for for the Knicks, he is playing, you know, great. Um, he was somebody I was really high on coming into the draft. And, you know, I think he's landed in a really good spot for him. Peyton Pritchard of the Celtics has done really well. Um, you know, off the jump. The second round guy, Xavier Tillman, is starting to play really well for the Memphis Grizzlies. Is starting to kind of be, be that, uh, I like to call it that traditional Tom Izzo player, where he's a jack of all trades, maybe not necessarily a master of none, but can do all sorts of helpful things. They're, they're kind of using him. Uh, Memphis is in almost like a pseudo Draymond Green type of role, which is, you know, really fun. Um, in, in Detroit, Isaiah Stewart's an under-the-radar rookie who is uh, in their rotation, playing well as a backup big man. He's bouncy, he's energetic. Kind of reminds me of uh, Montrez Harrell um, in the way he was used early on. Tyrese Maxey of the 76ers has played really, really well. Um, so I think what, what that is, I mean, I could probably rattle off another five or six guys that, that that are playing well out of this draft class. And what that tells me is, while we may not have that slam dunk, there's no Zion, there's no AD, or we know – that. That guy's a superstar. Um, What I think we're going to come out of this with, there were probably 20 or 30 guys at least at a minimum that we can say these guys are five to eight year pros in rotation guys in the NBA. And I think that's a pretty big win for a draft class that a lot of people were down on.
0: Yeah. And, you know, you mentioned Tyrese Maxey, he came in because, you know, a situation where almost all of Philadelphia yeah. was on health <laughs> protocols and he, he lit it up with like 38 points, I think it was. And then you have Cole Anthony on Orlando, who's been able to fill in the shoes uh, yep. with, you know, Fultz being out and Isaac and he's been getting that time. You know, I think what we're seeing is uh, guys that are young and, Because of the health protocols, we're seeing guys get more time than they probably would at this young age uh, being draft picks. You know, there's those few like ball that are going to fit in. But the fact that these players are able to get this time now and, you know, they're playing up against, you know, your Steph Curry's and your LeBron's, don't don't you think that – this experience that they're getting is going to help in the long run, and su- subsequently with Maxi, you know, one of my follow up questions was going to be if Maxi keeps producing when he's on the court as he is, does that mean that Ben Simmons is on his way out, or do you think they're going to be able to play both of them at the same time?
2: Yeah, I think to your first part of the, the question, um, I think it is, uh, the, the this is training camp summer league those preseason scrimmage times that's all of this rolled into one right now for these young guys so circumstances being what they are it's kind of make the best of it and roll forward and it has been really good like like for Tyrese Maxey where it has been big for him to get these minutes Cole Anthony you know he's Cole Anthony the rest of this year he's the only point guard left on the team so he's going to get everything he can handle and more and there's there's times when uh, I don't know if you watch the Magic play on uh, MLK day or um, that noontime game it was Pretty rough at times, and uh, that might be what it looks like. But in the backside, that'll be better uh, for these guys. So, absolutely, these guys are um, getting force fed minutes and they're going to take advantage. Now, to your other question on Philadelphia, I do think that changes things maybe a little bit. I I think they want to make sure um, that Simmons remains a part of things. I think Doc Rivers is being very truthful when he talks about how high he is on Ben Simmons and what he thinks of him as a player. I think what becomes really interesting for the for the uh, 76ers, though, is, does this, rather than move Ben Simmons, does this open up some other stuff where you could do different things with Ben Simmons. Could you really move him off the ball, play him as a, a more of a, uh, a Draymond on green type of role um, where, you know, it's just focus on your defense, be a ball mover when you're out there, hang around the dunker spot and those kind of things. And that could really kind of change things for him as well, versus saying you're the point guard, run our offense, get everything set. And I think that is part of Maxi's emergence opens up different lineup combinations that maybe weren't going to be used previously for Philly.
1: If let's finish on this. I'll get you out of here on this one. Um, we're talking a lot about the youth in the league, and it's you know I think that's a good thing. By the way, I mean if we're sitting here talking about LeBron all day, you know, <laughs> you know we'll get clicks, and that's about it. But uh, the the youth in this league is actually really really promising. But I, I look at the youth and I look at the standings, and I get it. But you know I'm looking at Dallas with Luca tenth. I'm looking at John Morant with Memphis eighth. I'm looking at Trey Young with the, with Atlanta eighth. It, are we really just stuck in a league right now where you have to kind of pay your dues and then pair up with superstars and go do that? Is that still where we are? are we, are we still in that bubble? Or is there a way forward? I mean, Atlanta certainly tried this off with, with free agency and trades, uh, but they're kind of stuck in the, in the same old right now. You know, how do we get these young, young superstars who clearly are ready to carry a team to take that next step and become top five conference uh, contenders?
2: Yeah, no, that's a great question. And I think to your point, it's so early in the standings. But yeah, you look at the top four or five teams in each conference. What do they all have in common? They all have. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And, And they all have. Two, three, or four guys that you can say, "Yep, those are the guys." And a lot of them are guys who have been around. Probably the youngest team in that mix is probably Boston. Yeah. But it feels like because Tatum and Brown were starters day one on good teams, they've got those reps that guys at their age don't normally have. So I th- think that that's a little bit different um there. And then you know, Milwaukee's got Giannis and Holiday and Middleton. Philly's got their guy. You know, we could go through the whole list, but but I, I think there is something to that. I think there is a a, a point where it's great to have all this You, I go always think back to remember Oklahoma City when it was Duran and Harden and Westbrook, and we're all excited because it's like these guys are gonna be in the finals for the next, you know, 10 years. And I think what we missed was there were some things that happened with them where They got there quicker than expected, and then it fell off. And then I compare that to the Warriors, who the first year that Warriors group came up, remember, they get kind of drugged in the second round of the playoffs and knocked out. And that's the way it usually goes. You get into the postseason, you take your lumps the first time, really learn what it's about, and then you move on from there and you step it up and go on to bigger things. And that's what I'm going to be curious to see is who are those teams that are ready to go there. I think what we're looking at with some of the teams you mentioned, were talk about youth i think think that the key thing for those teams is yeah as you mentioned like you know dallas with luca and um you know atlanta with trey young um in those guys that's one guy who's going to be that second guy then who's going to be that third guy because i think it still is you know in the nba if you don't have two or three you better have ten that you feel really good about. You better be almost kind of like the Pacers who are playing really well because they've got eight, nine, ten guys that they feel really good about even though they don't have the necessarily the one guy. So I think that is, um, you know, where, where you have to kind of kind of look at it. And then, you know, that kind of goes back to the uh, Detroit Pistons that year where they went to the finals, they beat the Lakers with, you know, all these kind of cast-offs and unheralded guys. And that team was, you know, super deep. But every other year other than that, it's been teams with stars that that have won – you know, maybe that Dallas team, you could say was a little bit different, but Dirk was out of his mind at that point in his career. So yeah, it definitely is. I think you still need stars to win in this league. And I don't know when that changes, if it ever does at this point.
1: Keith, great stuff as always. Scott, you as well. Thanks for having us. And uh, we will be back soon with, with an NBA recap from you guys. Thanks so much.
2: Thank you. Thanks.
1: All right, I've been trying to have this guy on for quite a quite a bit here. He's uh, he's an outstanding sports business writer. He is the senior writer for Front Office Sports, Michael McCarthy. We're going to get into some uh, some big time numbers here, viewership across many of the sports, specifically the NFL though as well. Uh, some of the changes at ESPN, and of course now with Philip Rivers retired, what's next in store for him? Enjoy my conversation with Michael McCarthy. Mike, welcome to the Spot Track Podcast. You're a busy man. I love your work over at Front Office Sports. It is uh, numbers driven, that's for sure. <laughs> Thank you. Let's start right there. Uh, you know, the viewership is, and the ratings for a lot of these sports, of course, have dipped. Um, I guess I shouldn't say, of course. Does that surprise you off the top that everybody's down a little bit?
3: It does. Um, I remember uh, back when there was no sports at the beginning of the pandemic. And all the experts were saying, oh boy, when live sports comes back, it's going to go through the roof, right? Everybody's going to be stuck at home. They won't go outside. They're going to have to watch sports. Well, guess what happened? Just the reverse. The ratings dropped across the board. I mean, the NFL, which had the best performance, was still down 8%. So I think it surprised a lot of people. Uh, It surprised the TV networks, and it surprised the leagues.
1: Yeah. It does surprise me now that I'm I'm backtracking a bit here because I I mean full disclosure our our numbers on the website are gigantic. <laughs> I
2: mean <laughs> I mean we we
1: got the boost we thought we were going to get because there was that pause because there was that time away. So I I guess can you answer to some degree why it's not happening for the television networks? And, and actually can can you kind of disclose what these ratings include? Like, does it include the streaming? Does it include any kind of Facebook or Amazon? Uh, or is it merely just broadcast?
3: Sometimes it's just broadcast, just linear television. Sometimes it's both. Uh, and the streaming numbers have been very good. Streaming numbers are way up, as you would expect. Yeah. It's the linear numbers, uh, the television numbers That have been down. In many cases, for things like uh, the World Series and uh, the NBA Finals and Stanley Cup Finals, down huge amounts 40, 50, 60%. So uh, I I think it's very worrisome for the networks and it's very worrisome for the leagues. And it concerns them going into 2029. Now now let's break it down a little bit. Mm -hmm. Why did this happen, right? Uh, I, I think it's impossible to put your finger on one factor. I think there's several factors. I think, one, we had the craziest election political season, well, since 2016, <laughs> with uh, Trump and Biden and the country being completely polarized and and uh, social justice protests and riots. And the end result was a lot of people were watching news channels. Uh, you know the, the CNNs and the MSNBCs and the Foxes, you know, did very very well last year because where people were tuned in to them for election news and also just all the crazy news about what was going on in the country, pandemic, the protests, etc. As a result, I think that took uh, some viewers away uh, from sports. Uh, number two, and I think this is a big big factor, is when sports came back, there was a glut. Uh, you had sports, you know, uh, being played all at the same time that were never played before NBA games going up against college football and the NFL. Uh, so there was almost too much for people to, uh, choose from what was on the air. And that led to a cannibalization, uh, in the numbers and three, uh, I think, uh, that, uh, sports emphasis on. Uh, social justice. Uh, this past year, with the players protesting, the signs on the field and the signs on the helmets, I think it hurt the ratings. And what I mean by that is, uh, you know, they were divisive uh, in a politically divisive, uh, politically divided country, and I think that turned off uh, some uh, viewers who didn't agree with these protests or didn't agree with the the goals of the protest. So. I mean, you put it all together and, uh, you know, it was kind of a perfect storm for uh, sports, uh, a storm that nobody really expected.
1: Yeah, Uh, well said. Okay, so flash forward, let's say 2022 is, and I quote, normal. (laughs) Um, (laughs) You know, everybody's in their their time slots. The seasons are as they should be in terms of regular season start dates. Um, Does anybody not get back to the peak they were at in 2019, for instance, you know, who's going to suffer the most from this little blip here?
3: I think uh, the question should be reversed. Who is going to get back to really? The peak? Yeah, I mean, I think that what has come out of this, and this is something that we're all getting a grip on, is I think viewer habits have changed uh, to some extent. I think during the pandemic, when there was no live sports for upwards of four or five months, people found other things to do. Um, habits are hard to break, but once they're broken, you know, people find alternatives. Uh, I, I think people's viewing habits changed. I, I think people who might've, uh, normally spent an evening, uh, in front of the TV, watching a game or reading a book or, or doing something else, uh, watching Netflix or they, they just, the, I think there was a, a some sort of sea level change in society, uh, wrought by the pandemic that is still shaking out. We really don't know what the re- results are. So for us to kind of blithely expect, oh, well, it's 2021. There's a vaccine coming. Everything will be back to normal. No, I don't think so.
1: Interesting. This is a lot more negative than I thought it was going to be.
3: <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not trying to be negative. No, I'm trying it's, to be realistic. it's the
1: numbers. You're right. You're, you're reading the numbers here. Um, okay. So let's go one more step down then are these leagues going to have to change? And maybe not so much the broadcast, because I think that is evolving with virtual reality and the streaming. I mean, that, you know, there are many layers that haven't been unpacked yet, I think, from, from many of these leagues. Um, so two-part question. The NFL is up here in terms of their TV rights. You know, I think a lot of people thought it was going to be huge, like really, really big, almost double of what they've been receiving before from a lot of these networks. Is that going to remain? Is that still the plan for the NFL? Or do you think they have to come down to earth a little bit on that? The
3: NFL only goes up. Yeah. It only goes up. It's the closest thing to a sure thing in television. Do I think this will have any impact uh, on their, you know, eventual rights deals? Maybe a little. But, I mean, I still think you're looking at a league that's going to increase its rights by anywhere from 70 to 80%, (laughs) 70 to 80%. I mean, that's astounding. And that's course the NFL is a sure thing. I mean, when we talk about an 8% drop, that is, to coin a phrase, a drop in the bucket compared to other leagues. And it's a drop in the bucket compared to other sports. TV across the board is down as more people cut the cord or, you know, cord shavers, cord cutters. They're going to streaming. They're watching Netflix I mean, I teach at Rutgers University, and a lot of these students they don't know from a cable package. They don't want. They don't have a cable package, and they don't want one. You know, all their viewing is done on demand. Um, so, I, you know, I think TV as is, is a medium, a delivery medium itself is in trouble. Uh, and you know, in the land of the blind, the one-eyed man is king, and you know, the NFL is king.
1: So that means everybody else has to come down then to some degree. And I would imagine baseball is going to take the biggest fall. I mean, they becoming so regionalized over the past decade. It's, it's gotta be well, very, when you say time.
3: coming, when you say coming down, do you mean rights fees or ratings?
1: I, I would imagine both. I, I've heard rumors that ESPN may cut, might cut ties at some point with, with their premium package with, with major league baseball. I, uh, I'm concerned. I, should I be?
3: <laughs> I think, I think there's two different questions there. I think, You know, the question of whether ratings will continue to fall, I think, is a good question. I think it could happen. Will that impact rights fees? Now, that's a totally different uh, thing because you have to uh, value the – judge the value of live sports rights versus everything else on Mm. television. And right now, live sports rights are still the most valuable thing in television. So I don't think sports rights are going to be hurt. I think, in fact, you know, these leagues will continue to do uh, incredible – uh, numbers for live sports because it's the one thing that, you know, people want the most. Uh, you know, they don't zip through the commercials. They watch it live. They watch the commercials, all those things that Madison Avenue wants and desires, all the things that they don't do anymore, you know, for sitcoms and 60 minutes and dramas and, and everything else. Live sports is where it's at. Uh, not studio sports, live sports, live games. <laughs>
1: I guess you're right. I mean, what else do we actually have a schedule for? <laughs> right? I, I, right. I don't need to sit down at 8 p.m. for anything specifically except for, you know, Monday night football. Yeah, that's exactly right. So I guess it's as okay. strong as it could be, uh, even if that means less viewers and they're just going to have to live with it at some point. Um,
3: yeah, I'll, I'll give I'll give you another reason yeah. why uh, the NFL is king, why they've been so smart about this whole thing. What is the NFL always depended on since the 1950s? Broadcast television. Yeah. They were the one lead that said, you know what, we're going to get all our games out there on free over the air broadcast television. Well, they look pretty smart now because as the cable uh, network shrink and people cut the cord, everybody's still got their broadcast channels. Right. And guess what? You know what I mean? When A- Disney signs the next pass package uh, for TV rights you could bet your bottom dollar that games are going to be on ABC again. So the NFL is going to have a clean sweep of games across all four broadcast networks.
1: Do you think they'll continue to add days like they did this year because of the COVID situation? Or what do you think that was overkill?
3: That was overkill. I I think... They were adapting to the look. Look, Everybody hates Thursday night football. They,
1: <laughs> do we? We still watch.
3: <laughs> I mean, we watch, but I mean, yeah. uh, you know, the players, we suffer through it, it. the coaches hate it. You know what? The, the networks hate it because they mostly lose money on it. Yeah. Uh, they only do it to, you know, satisfy the NFL's uh, uh, greed and ambition. So, uh, you know, will they add another day? I don't think so. Uh, you know, if, if, if they really went after a day, boy. Yeah, I think there's a possibility, you know, you could see Friday or Saturday night. But yeah. boy, if they, if they go after Saturday night, you know, that that really encroaches on college football. There's always been sort of a gentleman's agreement that the NFL, you know, didn't play games on Saturdays to protect the college game. Sure. But, you know, that's even that is breaking down during the pandemic. We, we've seen games literally all seven days of the week. So who knows?
1: yeah interesting for sure it was nice most of the time because we're all in the house but you know back to normalcy i don't think that'll be so nice you're right it'll be overkill all right uh i'll get you out of here on this uh, kind of timing philip rivers walks away from the nfl today 17 seasons uh you did a piece not too long ago about him basically uh, i mean it's a it's a set guarantee that he's going into the booth somewhere or or at least as an analyst somewhere do you have any idea kind of where that's going to be and what's your feel for how he's going to do
3: I, I don't think it's a, a guarantee that he's going into the booth. I think it's a guarantee that if he's interested in going into the booth, there will be TV networks interested in him. I see. Because I've been hearing for years that they see him as the next Tony Romo. He fits all the prerequisites, right? He's right off the field. It's not like he you know, retired 20 years ago. He's literally right off the field. He knows today's offenses, today's defenses. Two, he never shuts up. I love to talk. He's one of the greatest trash talkers in the league, which means he would be, you know, pretty good on, uh, on TV. And, you know, and, and three, a, a lot of people, you know, love his personality. He's got sort of, you know, down home southern charm. Uh, you know, they see him as a latter day dandy Don uh, Meredith. So I, I think for those three reasons, if he wants a job, you know, uh, in TV, they'll be fighting for his services.
1: So you think maybe he's opting towards coaching? Because I think that's probably the, the oh, other yeah. logical he, side of this.
3: Yeah, he's definitely got a, a coaching gig uh, lined up. He's going to do high school coaching in uh, his native uh, Alabama. But is you know, but that doesn't mean he can't uh, do TV too. I mean, sure. if you do a game or a studio, it's it's a couple of days a week. You know, it's not a seven day a week job. You know, you, you fly out to the game. You know, a night or two before. You know, you have dinner. You interview the coaches. You interview the players do the game the next day you fly back.
1: I like it. Yeah, I I love the personality. I think it was meant for TV, so I hope he gets there eventually. But you're right. It could be a little bit of a waiting game, especially if Drew Brees takes over this year. You don't want to have to compete with that.
3: Uh, Frankly, I don't think Drew Brees is going to be that good.
1: No. Okay.
3: I mean, I've talked to a lot of people who think he's kind of a stiff and, yeah, a little uh, more vanilla. Forget, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, and don't forget he got into trouble for those comments sure. about uh, criticizing uh, his fellow teammates for not standing for the national anthem. Uh, you know, he apologized for that, you know, 19 ways from Sunday, but that could make him a bit gun shy.
1: Last one. Is Is the Super Bowl in trouble in terms of ratings? No, no way, right? No, uh,
3: I don't think so. I mean, I think the Super Bowl could... Uh, be down this year but, but Super Bowl like the NFL is almost impregnable it, it almost doesn't matter who's playing in the game anymore it's a national holiday it's yeah. you know really is uh, the unofficial national holiday of the United States where we all get together and party and, and have fun uh, so I, I don't think uh, you know the Super Bowl is in trouble I don't think the NFL is in trouble I think it's the other smaller sports that uh, that could be in trouble for the ratings
1: Michael, you do great work. He's the senior writer for Front Office Sports. That is frontofficesports.com. Thanks so much for your time. Have a great day.
3: Hey, thank you. It was great.
1: All right. That's going to do it for this edition. My thanks to The Athletic. Check out theathletic.com slash spotrack, S-P-O-T-R-A-C for 40% off your first year subscription and the online betting guide, olbg.com. Free prizes and make yourself a better, better today. For Keith Smith, for Michael McCarthy, for Scott Allen, my name is Mike Giannetti. Thanks for listening to this edition of the SpotTrack Podcast.